0: That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot <clears throat> at and connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. ATT.
1: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, one of my favorite peeps in the whole world, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland.
0: Is it a fast ship? It's the ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. She's fast enough for you, old man.
1: (laughs) Yes, to get credit for this quote, you actually have to... (laughs) You can't just name the
0: original source. You have to figure out the secondary source of that quote. Well, and to be fair, the secondary source uh, paraphrases the primary source. True. So, um, yes, we're going to talk today about Star Wars. This comes to us courtesy of a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Eric, and Eric says, Weeks ago, when Ronald Reagan's 100th birthday came and went, it got me thinking about his Star Wars satellite program. I know Star Wars involves satellites, and it theoretically would be able to kill any bad guy America set its sights on. However, I don't know much about how it works. Could you do a podcast on it? Thanks. P.S. Could Star Wars be able to destroy Vroomhilda and the Philosophizer? First of all, Eric, uh, it's not an assassination system. It's an anti-missile system. And second of all, nothing can stop Vroomhilda and the Philosophizer. At least we got that out of the way. So maybe some brought first. (laughs) So you want to talk a little bit about, well, I guess before we even talk about the Star Wars program, what we need to do is take a little trip... In the Wayback Machine, we haven't done that for a while.
1: No, no. Did so, uh, uh, did uh, stuff you missed in history class bring it back?
0: Uh, I, you are borrowing it. We actually we have a secondary unit. Um, I I when we when we did the renovation on the uh, the uh, the studio space, I made sure that we got a second one just for tech stuff. Okay, good
1: because they don't leave it plugged in.
0: Right. Well, this one over here, you'll you'll notice it looks kind Get of like a. a okay, box. so it looks like a third-hand um, police call box, but trust <laughs> me, it'll it'll work just fine. So. Okay. So uh, let's... Uh, all right, get in. Okay. All right, I'm right behind you here. All right, you just budge over just a little bit. Unfortunately, this one is not larger on the inside than it is on the outside. Uh, let's just set this for October 4th, 1957, and uh, push the button, Frank. I can't reach the button. All right, I'll push the button. All right, and here we are, October 4th, 1957, in the, what was then the Soviet Union. Get out.
1: It is not roomy in here. Oh,
0: sorry. Uh, All right. uh, Oh, wow. All right. That's better. Hey, there's that that tomb that's in Tetris. Um, So anyway, it's 1957, October 4th, Soviet Union. You know what's about to happen? Does it beep? It does. In fact, that's pretty much all it does. There's going to be the launch of the Sputnik satellite, the first man-made satellite launched into Earth orbit. Beep. Beep. In fact, that is a direct quote. (laughs) Yes. it's pretty much all it did was orbit the Earth and beep but here's here's the other important thing about sputnik it was mm-hmm. not only was it the first man-made satellite but it made america like the general public of america realize that the russians had developed technology that would not just allow them to launch a rocket into space but theoretically launch a rocket from the soviet union that could go all the way and reach the united states of america
1: right now keeping in mind that this is shortly after The end of World War II, or at least much closer than it is now. Yes, and people were still um, very concerned about what was dawning as the atomic age. Yes, uh, with the the dropping of the the atomic bombs on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki that ended the Second World War, Uh, other countries were beginning to test those. We realized that they were terrible weapons. All of us in the world, everywhere, and you know, all of a sudden, it became a concern that other people, especially. You know, uh, countries that were not necessarily friendly to the United States.
0: Yeah, the Soviet <laughs> Union had undergone what can only be described as political turmoil over uh, the decades since World War One, really. Yes. And sorry, I
1: was dancing around that.
0: Yeah, but it's well, we have to talk about it because the Cold War—that's what Star Wars program is all about, right? Yes, it was. So, so we had these political the the strain on on the political relationship between the United States of America and the Soviet Union. They had diametrically opposing political philosophies.
1: Right. And now these very, very potent weapons, which going from needing to be dropped as bombs from planes to being equipped on top of missile warheads. Right. We're Where talking you... about longer and longer ranges. What parts of the world can you hit with a rocket of this type? Right. And then suddenly there is a thing in space that is beeping. But what does that mean? Does that mean that you can hit anywhere in the world if you launch the rocket from the right, you know, at the right altitude and attitude and apogee?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Instead of having to send a bunch of aircraft to fly over uh, a target space and drop bombs, you know, those aircraft could be intercepted and could be shot down. Um, you you could uh, – there were things that you could do in that case the thought of a missile being launched across the world and then hitting your nation was much more frightening because what could you do against that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's what sort of propelled the whole idea of the Strategic Defense Initiative or Star Wars program. Well, let's get back into the machine and, and get back to modern day. Seriously? We have to. I'm claustrophobic, dude. All right. Well, look, just right. inhale deeply right. and get in. All right. all right. Ow.
1: Shut up. We've got to move this lever because right. it's poking gotcha. me in the okay. All right,
0: all right. And we're back. Uh, all right, let me just get out of here. Okay, now... Uh, Somebody else can have that one. The studio seems nice and roomy now, doesn't it? Yes, I know. All right, so now that we're back in the present day, we can talk a little bit about what happened after the Sputnik launch. Uh, you essentially had a lot of research and development poured into these these long-range missile programs. Eventually, the, the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, or ICBM, became mm-hmm. a product of this. right. So this began what was a, a philosophy that was uh, n- called later mutual assured destruction.
1: Is it a uh, is it any coincidence that the initials spell MAD? Mad.
0: Well, you had to be mad to follow it, right? So, well, the, the
1: idea being that you, whoever has the most weapons gets to scare off everyone else from attacking you because we have more than you.
0: Yeah, the idea being that that really the idea came down to each each side of this uh, opposing philosophy, this, this Cold War, so-called because there weren't outright hostilities breaking out, uh, that you had to have enough weapons to ensure that you could destroy your enemy. And both sides had it. And the idea being that with both sides having these weapons – there'd be it would be crazy to actually launch an attack because you would know that you would also be attacked and that you would suffer just as your enemy suffered mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that was the mutual assured destruction the idea that it's so dangerous to launch an attack no one would dare do so
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: problem is that that relies on humans acting in a rational way and that of course is not always the case in fact this you could argue that this was the same philosophy that existed in Europe prior to World War I, mm-hmm. that European nations were building up armed armies and navies. They were really pouring money into their armed forces, with the idea being that if you had a very strong armed force, no one would ever dare attack you. So therefore, just by increasing tensions, by, by increasing the size of your military, you could ensure peace, even though it would be a very tense peace. Unfortunately, as World War One proved, that did not work. So we tried it again with nuclear weapons. Right. Um,
1: and, and to some, uh, I think just for the sake of clarification right now, I would say it's safe to say that that, that hasn't gone away. No, There no. are still huge nuclear stockpiles uh, yes. in The United States and in uh, Russia, the former Soviet Union and and many other countries around the world now.
0: And even though the Soviet Union itself collapsed, uh, it looks you could you could say that the political and uh, the political attitude in what in the former Soviet Union is once again, at least at least somewhat antagonistic towards the United States government right there there are political tensions between the United States and the the countries that were in the the former Soviet Union mm-hmm. well, you know you can
1: see uh even some of our younger listeners will probably remember the tension uh if you follow the news at all, and I recommend that you do yes um the tension generated from North Korea's fairly recent test in the last yes. two or three yes. years where they were testing nuclear weapons and and missile technology yes. both. Um, and, you know, of course this causes a lot of tension with South Korea, Um and Japan and Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, but also for, for other countries around the world, even, even Europe, which, you know, probably you wouldn't think, well, you know, they're pretty far away. You know, still it, it, it affects, these things are no longer local conflicts yes. with this technology. So... Um, you know, Maybe. the ideas, are, it, it hasn't gone away, certainly.
0: Right. You still have these political ideologies that are in opposition with each other. But then you also have like global corporations that span multiple countries, some of which have these political ideologies that conflict with the corporation's home country. Mm-hmm. It, it's made matters much more complicated. It's not just political, it's uh, financial. And, you know, of course, we're all uh, nuclear weapons are non-discriminatory, right? They mm-hmm. don't they don't target just military installations, military personnel. This is these are weapons that target enormous areas and essentially are going to wipe out uh, massive civilian populations were they to be um, uh, you know hit by a nuclear attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what spawned this idea of the Strategic Defense Initiative. And uh, you have you actually looked at the the announcement that kind of uh. Uh, unveiled this to the world right
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i i and in doing the research for this this you can actually date the strategic defense initiative mm-hmm. back to a specific date although yes. really the idea goes back farther right but when people are picking a a significant date in the history of the sdi uh, most pick March 23rd, 1983, when President uh, Ronald Reagan addressed the country on issues of national security. Now, mm-hmm. um, a while back, I actually had found a series of podcasts on presidents that were being offered by, um, I believe, PBS. They were free. So I downloaded and watched several of them. And I, I kind of, um, you know, Reagan's term, two terms were during my lifetime, but yes. I don't remember a lot about about him and what he was like. And from what i understand he you know although i think a lot of people see him as sort of a a militarist in some respects mm-hmm. because he did he did stress in this message you know look we can't we've got to be tough we want to deter our enemies but um i think he was also he he kind of didn't like the stress from what i understand he he the stress that that brings on because it's a stressful environment yeah. you're always wondering if you have more weapons than the other people if your arms uh, caches. If you have more more soldiers and sailors and marines,
0: yeah. Looking at it's, looking it's at, uh, at, at stressful. Yeah, you start looking at statistics like if we were hit by a first strike, how many of our weapons would remain right. operable so that we could strike back? I mean, when you're t- looking at that scenario, you're already saying we've been hit and we've lost a massive amount of our infrastructure, our citizens. Uh, we've taken huge losses. Can we strike back? I mean when you when you have to ask yourself that question that is I mean that's a tough question because you're already talking about defeat in a way mm-hmm. no one wins in that situation right 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 so um
1: he uh in, in this particular speech it wasn't particularly long address mm-hmm. um but yeah, it was this like was about 4 minutes i think yeah uh it's not very long and it's easy to find uh but it, it's kind of interesting because it takes a different tack if you will mm-hmm. um basically said, look, I want to offer you a different idea, an idea that might bring you hope. Rather than trying to destroy our enemies outright necessarily, why don't we embark on a plan to uh, to intercept and destroy these weapons before they reach us? And that means we don't necessarily have we – can, we can focus instead on protecting ourselves rather than destroying our enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, although, to be sure uh, – i I'm sure that he wanted to rely on uh, uh mutually de- assured destruction to some degree as a defense initiative, and I think you know frankly you could argue that it does have some value right but you know he said look let's instead of doing this let's do something new and use we've got a lot of technology available to us to make sophisticated weapons and defense systems let's create a network of Defenses that will intercept and destroy nuclear weapons before they could actually reach us, right? Um, and you know, he doesn't really get into a lot of the details in the address. No,
0: that that comes later.
1: And uh,
0: although although I think it I think it only took the next day before someone called it the Star Wars program.
1: Yeah, it didn't, uh, because it, you know there are a lot of pieces to it, and yes. it's, a lot of it is about. You know, weaponizing space essentially. Yes. You know, where you're saying, let's put stuff in the sky that can shoot other stuff out of the sky. Right. And Um, and and of course, but it's not just about that. There were ground defenses, there were airborne defenses, there were spaceborne defenses, all as part of this overall network. And uh, it's not even that simple because it shifted over time. Yes, to mean different things during different presidencies, and different and, and
0: departments he's... took over parts of the of the what was originally all part of the Strategic Defense Initiative. Some of that broke off and became uh, specifically an Air Force mm-hmm. uh, initiative. So it, it was no longer part of SDI. It was an, a different program. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, so so yeah, I mean it's it's kind of you think about it. Like, how are you going to do that? How are you going to stop missiles before they even you know, come down and hit the Earth, and there were a lot of proposals. So it it seems, uh, pardon the uh, not pun, but weird uh, pun like thing, uh, pie in the sky sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm thinking of a giant pie stopping missiles. But yeah, going, how what are you going to mm. spend money on that's going to do Bye. this? Yeah, <laughs> I've lost him. So uh, so yeah, it was it was supposed to stop ICBMs from reaching the United States. Right. Now. Part of it was, hey, if you can destroy it in space before it even reenters the atmosphere, because you know some ICBMs do—they reach space, yeah, low orbit,
0: and then at their at their peak, they are in a low orbit, and then they reenter on a trajectory toward their target.
1: Yes, that's why they're intercontinental. Yes, Um, but yes, there are other weapons that don't reach that that altitude. Right, and
0: and it's interesting because if you look at the history and the various proposals that were uh, all part of SDI you start to realize that they were figuring this out as they were going along as well like mm-hmm. there were the originally a lot of the idea was that well we can as long as we can shoot down the missile or destroy the missile uh, before it before it gets uh, you know before it makes contact then that's acceptable except for the fact that there was the discovery of hey uh, these these blasts are releasing ginormous, uh, electromagnetic pulses or EMPs right, and it, that means that were you to detonate a nuclear weapon even at a fairly high altitude over the United States that EMP could end up affecting uh, the electronics on the ground or even in the air so you're talking about all the airplanes that may be in the area you're talking about all the electronics in the area like the power grid in the area it could create blackouts in a, over a massive range because I mean a, a big enough EMP could put a load not just on that region's uh, a power grid but the neighboring regions as well so uh, you know we we did an entire podcast about EMPs in the past so if you if you really want to know more about them I recommend you check that out because it is it's an interesting tactic as well as just a side effect of the nuclear war uh, arms program in the first place mm-hmm. so that kind of led to discussions about well what we really need are defense initiatives that would allow us to shoot down missiles as s- as close to when they launch as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, and to be co- perfectly clear, I mean, if you go to the Department of Defense, they have unclassified documents. Yes. Lots of them. Lots of them that you can read. And there's one that's uh, that's a, a memorandum for the Secretary of Defense that is the space component of US military strategy and warfighting requirements for US military space systems. Mm-hmm. That document makes it very clear they're talking specifically about the Soviets. Mm-hmm. The 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 term Soviets appears multiple times through this document. Yes, which is several pages long it was written in 1988. So, you know, there was there were no illusions. This was not, you know, some sort of vague uh, defense system that was meant to protect the United States from any attacker. this was something that was that was talked about with the Soviets in mind in particular right um, so part of that was talking about you know we, we mentioned or you mentioned Chris that there were going to be ground based systems as well as ones in space and in right. the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this meant that your ground-based systems were essentially things like radar stations yeah. where you could detect that uh, a missile had, had launched because missiles were going at altitudes that were high enough to be detectable by radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the space element eventually came to the conclusion that there needed to be satellites that would be positioned directly over the Soviet Union in order for this to be effective so that we could launch a countermeasure from space to interfere with the, the ICBMs.
1: Right, and um, you know there were uh, several systems that were going to uh, rely on one of your favorite
0: technologies—lasers. Yes, actually, I would I would argue at least I don't know about you, Chris. When I was a kid in the '80s. My perception, and granted, remember, I was a kid. I yeah, only exactly. I only knew about this kind of because adults talked about it, right? Mm-hmm. But as a kid, I I always imagined that the Star Wars program was all about lasers. I never I never knew as a kid during the time when this was actually happening that that was just one of many proposals. But uh, to talk about the lasers, the system that was proposed, the initial one with X-ray lasers, mm-hmm. was really really kind of interesting and ultimately. Uh, People like scientists and, and and military personnel determined that it was not feasible. But mm-hmm. the idea was that you would launch satellites into orbit, position them over the Soviet Union. And these satellites would actually contain a nuclear warhead inside the satellite. Mm-hmm. The satellite would also contain uh, lasing material. You might want to go back and listen to our. Lasers podcast to hear about lasing material, but that the nuclear explosion when you when you detonate the warhead would provide the energy that would emit an extremely powerful X-ray laser using this lasing material, and that you would include lots and lots of lasers in a in a single satellite, like two dozen of them in there, so that they could shoot down multiple targets uh, from one detonation. Mm-hmm. I believe at the time, uh, the United States had estimated that the Soviet Union had lots and lots of warheads, but only, I think, fewer than 2,000 actual missiles. Mm -hmm. So the idea was that you had to have enough uh, satellites to shoot down the majority of those 2,000 or so or fewer missiles in order to protect uh, the United States. Mm -hmm. So in order to shoot them down, you would have to detonate a nuclear warhead within this satellite and have it contained in such a way that the energy is then uh, 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 directed into a lasing medium, shoots an X-ray laser. The X-ray laser hits the missile and, uh, and shoots it down. Mm-hmm. And to do that, of course, you also have to have a tracking system. You have to figure out how you're going to track it. Originally, I think they were looking at... Um, At at, uh, radar, but then there was the possibility of um, uh, having, uh, of of the Soviet Union launching decoys, using radar reflectors, so that the radar would have false readings saying oh, here's a missile over here, and by shooting lots and lots of these up in the air all at once, it would mean you would waste a lot of your your defense initiative shooting down uh, dummies, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was also a talk about using uh, sensors that would Detect heat signatures, mm-hmm. and you would see the the heat signature from a missile is going to be much larger than a decoy. Right. So then you just aim for the big ones, right? But this is not this is a non-trivial problem. Figuring out not just how to make the laser work, which by the way, no one really ever figured out a reliable way of doing that, mm-hmm. but figuring out the targeting system so that you can you know, reliably target and shoot down these missiles without. Missing them because that energy is going to keep on going. Mm-hmm. If you miss that missile, it's going to hit something else.
1: Stupid physics.
0: Yeah. And we're talking x ray lasers. I mean, these, this is real. Uh, x ray lasers powered by a nuclear explosion. This is a very powerful beam of light.
1: Mm-hmm. And then you had, you know, the brilliant pebbles.
0: Brilliant pebbles, yes.
1: Which were the uh, uh, basically autonomous spacecraft. Yes. You know, just sort of coasting around up there looking for stuff to shoot down. Or collide with.
0: Yeah, a lot destroy. of it was was kind of the idea of not necessarily even shooting something down, but just putting something in the way yeah. of the missile so that it would uh, it would end up destroying itself or falling to the earth. You know, something like that where uh, you're not you're not necessarily trying to destroy the missile in midair. Mm-hmm. Um, there were several missile systems that were uh, proposed where you would actually shoot a missile from space to the ICBM to destroy it. And the idea being that you wouldn't need as much fuel for the individual missiles or rockets or whatever you want to call them um, in the in the satellites that would be housing these weapons systems because they don't have to escape the Earth's gravity. They mm-hmm. just have to be aimed at the right direction and fired. Uh, some of them were would have tracking ability so that they could change direction in mid-flight. I saw proposals for a rail gun system Mm-hmm. Railguns, in case you were wondering, use electromagnetic energy to propel a uh, a, a projectile down a pathway. Mm-hmm. So you're actually... It's the same sort of thing like um, particle accelerators, right? right? With a particle accelerator, uh, for example, the Large Hadron Collider, mm-hmm. you want to accelerate a proton beam faster and faster and faster around a circle until it reaches the right speed where you make it collide with another proton beam traveling at the same speed but in the opposite direction. Right. You do that by using uh magnetic force cuz you know protons are positively charged so you use a negative charge ahead of the proton to pull it or a positive charge behind the proton to push it mm-hmm. and you just you increase that frequency until it's moving at near the speed of light well the rail guns work on a similar idea except you're using a physical projectile and you're using electromagnetic energy to to shoot the projectile out of the system uh the big problem there was that even though it was possible to make a railgun. Um, at the time, it was they they could only fire infrequently, like we're talking like once a day, or once every couple of weeks, because it just took so much energy to generate that and to make it work that you mm-hmm. couldn't just reload and fire and fire and fire. Um, so, in order for that system to work, it would of course have to be able to fire lots of times. Uh, in a in a short time frame you'd also have to figure out all right well what kind of projectile are we using we have to have one that if we're shooting it from space the projectile has to be able to survive re-entry into the earth's atmosphere mm-hmm. and so that there were a lot of problems with that so we were talking about missile systems projectile systems laser systems there were even systems that proje- that suggested nets mm-hmm. like uh, either missiles that would deploy a net that would foul an ICBM and cause it to to not uh, to, well, to detonate, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more we looked into this, and we being scientists and engineers, uh, the more it appeared that at least based on the 1980s technology and even 1990s technology, this did span more than a decade. Um, and in fact, some of the elements are still in place in the in the United States military. Uh, it just became... Clear that there was no easy or feasible or cost-effective way of deploying this. Mm-hmm. You know, you eventually had to come to the conclusion of: Does it make sense to pour billions and billions of dollars, or as Carl Sagan would put it, mm. billions and billions of dollars, into a program that you might not ever use?
1: Right, right. And the uh, it did receive some initial funding from Congress. Yes, I mean back in the 1980s, uh, people were behind the idea and and you know jumped on. Uh, the chance to to fund this project, but I mean, immediately or seemingly immediately out of the gate, there were people criticizing the ideas being too expensive, too difficult to. Pardon the pun, otherworldly. It's like how are we? You know, this is foreign to us. And and it, it earned you know it earned the program the nickname you know Star
0: Wars. It earned Reagan the nickname Ronnie Reagan. Well, and and, and no- you know it. <laughs> Not only did it seem like it was unlikely to happen, but there were people who were saying if we did have this in place, it would actually potentially lead to a nuclear war because because you would either... The, either the side that has the technology would say, hey, now we have the advantage. We can launch an initial attack against our enemy, and we have the defenses in place to prevent most of their missiles coming over here. So we should just wipe them out because we can do it now. Yeah. And then the other side of the argument is the, the enemy, the Soviets, could say, hey, they're putting this, this defense initiative in place. If we don't attack now, we're going to be at a weakened position. So we should attack before they get the defense system up. Yes, and, and then you you have you you actually end up causing the very event you're trying to prevent,
1: yes, and the the Soviets were working on their own version of the system it it escalated tensions in the Cold War, yeah, because suddenly we were embarking on this new project mm-hmm. that um, was very scary because all of a sudden it and and Reagan was right in that it does take some of the sting out of the mutually assured destruction, so all of a sudden they're going. Wait a minute, that's what we can we do. shoot at them and then once they neutralize all our weapons or most of our weapons, they can shoot
0: back. or they can shoot at us before we can even shoot at them and then they shoot all our stuff down. Exactly. Either way, so, that's bad for us.
1: Yes, so that that escalated tensions just that much more. Um, but uh, and and the Soviets were working on their own system yeah, uh, which came to light years later. But, um... And
0: there, were, there were scientists and engineers who argued, even at the beginning, that really the answer to this was not building a SDI system, but using diplomacy mm-hmm. to try and and uh, end the Cold Cold War. And as we know, that eventually did happen. Although you could argue that we are in a new Cold War now, mm-hmm. um, or at least the the beginning stages of one. The uh, but the diplomacy was what uh, several people had advocated for. And actually, that when that started to work, when the Cold War began to kind of unravel, that, that was bad news for the SDI initiative, mm-hmm. which, by the way, it underwent several name changes. I j- I'm just going to say SDI because it's easier. I don't want to sure. keep on going back and forth. But it meant that um, getting funding for those programs was more and more difficult because there seemed to be less of a need for one. You started to have mm-hmm. nuclear disarmament disarmament programs, which – you know, that that decreased the need for uh, a space warfare initiative. Uh, some of those elements, though, still got funding and, and continued to uh, to be an important part in military strategy. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of our, our spy satellites came out of that program. Mm-hmm. And we've developed sensors and GPS systems that were initially, in one way or another, tied into SDI. And mm-hmm. we've benefited from those. So yeah. not everything in SDI was... was um, Impossible, or or, uh, or too expensive, or unnecessary.
1: Right, right, and uh, some of it does, you know, have clear application. Now, I, I should point out, uh, I was curious about the GPS connection, and GPS did exist mm-hmm. in in forms before SDI. So, yeah. but you know, the the fact of the matter is, a GPS system is really very necessary to make something like SDI work. Yes. If you were ever to do that. Yes. Also, it spawned a game for the Amiga called. SDI which is very much about
0: what this would have been about if you could just make it happen also missile commander ah. <laughs> uh, and we should point out that some of this some of the philosophies here have been used in in a smaller uh, uh, capacity like mm-hmm. instead of it being a global, System. There are theater systems, and when I say theater systems, I'm talking about regions in which there is an active conflict. Right. So, for example, in the initial, the first, uh, the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. and the first war in Iraq, uh, we saw the Patriot system, mm-hmm. and the Patriot missile system that was designed to shoot down incoming missiles. Yeah,
1: anti-missile missiles.
0: Yes. So that was that was a direct descendant from the SDI program. It's just mm-hmm. it was a smaller. Uh, you know, surface-to-air missile system as opposed to one launched from space, mm-hmm. but uh, the Patriot system that came direct directly out of the SDI initiative, and uh, I w- another thing that I wanted to point out is that we're we're at a point now where a lot of the technology that was talked about back in 1983 mm-hmm. is completely feasible and possible now, right? We've we've technologically advanced to the point where. But from a hardware perspective, right, we could achieve many of the things that were um were proposed during the initial SDI announcement. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's still some some other problems, not just the political problems and the ideological problems, uh, but actual technical problems. And I read an article uh, in Time magazine. The article was called "Computers, Star Wars, and Software." Mm-hmm. It was uh, written in 2005, mm-hmm. and in it. Uh, there was a, a a computer scientist named David Parnas who was a part of a, a committee that worked on. Uh, there was an advisory panel for the this initiative. The, the, in time, it just refers to it as the Star Wars program. Right. And Parnas said that he he resigned from the the panel out of frustration because he felt that. The, the goals they had were unachievable, and his his perspective was that there was, in order for this system to work, to have a, a multi-satellite system designed to shoot down missiles, incoming missiles, meant that you would have to have a software program so complex, it would be the largest and most complex program ever written, and you would have to have the most advanced computer system in the world to mm. run it, because you would have to be able to identify, target, and eliminate so many... Uh, uh, missiles in such a, a relatively small time frame that uh, it would be it would be incredibly difficult, and it would need to work perfectly the first time it was used. Because if it didn't, you know, you, how do you test that? You can't really test it mm-hmm. until it's necessary. And his point is that no software program ever works perfectly the first time you use it. You have right. to, you know, you run a program, you see where it works, where it doesn't work, you do quality assurance. You test it. You write down all the things that don't work. You go back to the drawing board. You start reprogramming it. You run it again, see if anything's fixed. Maybe you broke something even worse this time. Mm-hmm. And his point is that you don't get that chance with this system. And and if, uh, if the system is not guaranteed to work perfectly, if mm-hmm. it has to be this complex, if it requires the most advanced computer system in the world, you're talking about costs for something not guaranteed to work and that, therefore, it is not... A worthwhile endeavor. Mm-hmm. You know, you you should not pour that huge amount of money into something that may not ever work, and it may actually escalate things to the point where there's a, a legitimate conflict.
1: Right, right. It's uh, you it, know, it's it's funny now. It, it seems much less of a big deal, but I remember a lot of stuff going on in the news yeah. and just constant constant talk about. The Star Wars program and people still mention it now in legislative uh, sessions about mm-hmm. sort of as a, you know, well this didn't work, but you know I think it in the end or, it, or I doubt you could really say this is the end even. No, I mean no. some of it some of it did survive and some of it is pretty successful. Yeah, um, it's just not really in the way that it was originally envisioned. Yeah, not as a complete package and not as a complete package. Um, but you know if if it serves as a Defensive deterrent against uh, having other people launch attacks against you. You know, it seems like the idea behind that is is uh, valuable.
0: Yeah, the the concern now tends to be more toward uh, well, first of all, theater operations. Sure. So things that are happening in localized areas. You know, he's mm-hmm. still worrying about those but also i mean we have a whole new world now where we're talking about worrying of things like uh, briefcase bombs yes where you're talking about you know you've got all these warheads that were laying around some of which were never installed in missiles because like i said they had they had more warheads than they had missiles to launch with them yeah and then not all of them are necessarily accounted for mm-hmm. and then the, so there's a worry that there may be warheads out there in the world that could be used for terrorist purposes, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know that no SDI is going to prevent that because we're talking about you know deploying a, a, an explosive device, a, a nuclear device, uh, without ever launching a missile.
1: Yeah, and an SDI isn't going to protect uh, soldiers from uh, IEDs, improvised uh, explosive, explosive devices. devices yeah. you know things that are much smaller in scale, right. or people who are willing to. Sacrifice their lives for their cause right. to the point where they will walk into a building and blow it up. Um, you know, you can't, you can't defend against that with something like an SDI.
0: And and even SDI at its like, like the best case scenario for SDI was not all about stopping every single missile. Mm-hmm. It was about stopping most of them. Right. Which would mean that no matter what, I mean, realistically, you have to say no system is perfect. You would not be able to stop everything, and therefore. There would be losses. Mm-hmm. It was just a question of were the losses going to be um, mitigated enough for the system to be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So, wow, it's it's heavy topic. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, I mean, it's an, it, definitely an interesting uh, program that was was. Uh, uh, put into place and you can see why it was Mm -hmm. even though ultimately it may have been uh the wrong direction to to move in i mean at that point the political pressure and the 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 fear in the united states i mean i remember as a kid that the soviets were supposed to be the bad guys Mm -hmm. you know i mean even if if no one directly said that i mean here here's all i have to say wolverines (laughs) Uh, of course now people are going to think that means north korea because the new movie is going to have the north koreans as the bad guy but Ah, i see yeah but originally there were the soviets in the the original version of that film i'm sure some of you are going to have to look up what that movie is bonus quote yeah wolverines yeah that's a nice hard one because it's one word yeah um except for the fact that it's also a very famous one so yeah i mean there, there was a very real concern both in uh in the news and in pop culture that the soviets were up to Uh, dangerous activities and it was our duty as americans to make sure we supported uh, every option we had to try and head that off Mm -hmm. and um, yeah the whole patriotism directed toward supporting militarism i mean it's it's a it's a sticky subject to talk about Mm -hmm. right well anyway i hope you guys found that interesting i i Personally, think that that's a fascinating era of history, yeah, and uh, hopefully one that we will not see necessarily repeated in the future. Yep, because that's not cool, <laughs> guys. If you have any other questions, like you want to know about other specific historical uh, eras and the technology involved in them, let us know. I mean, you know, we've covered what 1510 and uh, and the Soviet uh, American Cold War, so there's stuff in between that that yeah. we can talk about. Uh, let us know. Send us uh, an email at techstuff at howstuffworks.com or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The How Stuff Works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
0: Running a business is no cakewalk. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I-can't-believe-how-simple-that-is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office... With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at Concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working
1: together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit Slack.com to get started. Viking